If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find 2 Samuel chapter 11. And as you're doing that, I have a card that I would like to read this morning. To our Ten Mile Church family, words cannot begin to describe how we feel about you all. Thank you for the calls, texts, messages, and prayers during the illness and recent passing of our mother and grandmother, Sharon Darnell. Thank you for the arrangements sent. As always, the dinner was perfect. A huge thank you to the committee. Thank you for the use of the facilities. It allowed our family the opportunity to hug all of you. Thank you all who went above and beyond their everyday position to serve our family. So many kind words and hugs touched us in so many ways. We are thankful for this church and the people in it. We were humbled by all the love shown to our family. We thank God we are a small part of this caring family we call Ten Mile. That's from Kent, Angie, Caleb, Colby, Peyton, and baby Darnell. And so continue to pray for the Darnell family uh, during their time of loss. As always, I just want to encourage you uh, to love people when you have the opportunity. And uh, today I want to talk to you again, uh, the last part of our sermon series, When the Follower of God Falls. And we've been looking at King David through the lens of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I really want to just remind you because... The title, as I've told you, I've had some complaints. People don't like it because it's so negative in its connotation. And uh, and then people say, well, not all believers fall. All believers stumble. All believers fall. The question is, how hard? Uh, You have probably seen someone going down a flight of stairs or you've seen someone walking and they trip. And sometimes they'll, they'll trip like this, but yet they don't fall. And you think, whew, that was close. That was, I'm glad that was just a, a small stumble. And I am one of those people that if I see you fall and you are not old and decrepit, like I'm thinking you might have broke a hip, as soon as I see that you're okay, I am going to laugh and I'm going to laugh and I'm going to la- I love to watch America's Funniest Home Video where people slip out their stairs and fall on the ice. I, 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 that is just, it's a terrible thing. My parents have always said, how can you be so cruel and cold hearted to people who fall? And so sometimes we see falls that have great consequences. And so the question in each of our life is not if we will stumble, not if we will struggle, but how far will we fall? Will it just be a a bump in the road? Will it be something that we find ourselves face first in the mud? That is the question I have for you today because that is the choice that we all make in how we respond to our sin, how we respond to the sin in our life. All of us struggle with sin. All of us are fighting a spiritual battle. All of us have a struggle. Now, our culture has told us And let's just be honest, the church for so long has told us that your sin, it's not that big of a deal. We have a God who is gracious and merciful and compassionate and long-suffering, and He is. And He is willing to forgive, and He is willing to save, and He is willing to restore, and He is willing to work in our lives. But never forget that sin destroys everything. 
Sin will ruin your marriage. Sin will ruin your family. Sin will ruin your finances. Sin will ruin your church. And you say, well, Jake, but I've just never seen the consequences of my sin. You know, it's never really just came to fruition. That is because God is merciful. And God is much better to us than we deserve. And so this morning as we finish up this series, I just really pray that you will just take a few moments as we're going through this and saying, could this be me? Is this me? Because this morning, while we will point our fingers at everyone else and their sin and everyone else and their struggles, it is very hard for us to deal with our own. And so I want to read two verses to you that I've read every week because I want to be an encourager to you. In Psalm 51, verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. This is David writing after what we are reading about and how God could restore him even though he had fallen. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verse 13, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not Die. And so no matter if you have stumbled a little or if you have fallen completely, remember that God can forgive, that God can restore. And so uh, if you're familiar with where we're at in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we have watched David who was somewhere he shouldn't have been. He was uh, taking some downtime when he should have been serving the Lord. Uh, his desires, he looks out and sees uh, Bathsheba. Uh, then he defiles her by bringing her into his home, uh, sleeping with her. Uh, she then uh, tells him that she is pregnant. And so his sin then leads to a cover-up uh, to trying to get her husband to sleep with her. He won't. So he, last week as we looked, sent a command to the general of his army to have him killed, to, to leave him in the fiercest battle and watch him die. And where we finished last week was Joab was getting ready to send a report back to David of what had happened. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. And so if you would stay with me as we're going to read verses 22 through 27. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us, and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot down from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Pray with me. Father, this morning as we come to study Your Word, Lord, that... Uh, God, I just ask that You would forgive me. God, I know that this morning that if Your Holy Spirit doesn't work, Lord, if He is not moving, is He is not changing hearts, God, nothing will get done. 
And so, Lord, I pray that he will convict, that he will encourage, God, that he will do what only he can do for your glory. God, I ask that you would pre- you would bless the preaching and reading of your word, and, Father, that it would not return void. And so, God, just thank you for the privilege, and I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things this morning, very quickly, I'd like to show you is this. The first, sin will corrupt our beliefs on right and wrong. Sin will corrupt our beliefs on right and wrong. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in this situation, but you used to think something was wrong. You used to believe this is what the Bible said, but because maybe you've struggled with it or maybe you've went through it or or maybe you have... uh, been living in sin, that your views begin to change on sin. Uh, You begin to change the way you think about what's right and what's wrong. Uh, We've seen that in our society. Things that used to be uh, understood as something that God would not want, that God would not approve of, that the church would never uh, allow, have become things now that we have embraced fully. And the reason that our views change on sin, I'm not talking about what you believe about everything because all of us change a little bit in what we believe. The more we mature, the more we grow in our faith. But I'm talking about the things that God clearly says are right and are wrong. How do we begin to change those in our life? It is because sin begins to sneak into our heart. Sin begins to sneak into our family. Sin begins to sneak into our church. And it begins to corrupt our beliefs of what are right and wrong. Look here with me in verses 22 through 25. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, don't miss this. This messenger tells David that Joab had won the battle. They had came out from their fortress, they had fought, they had been defeated, and Joab had then pursued them right up to the gate, right up to the wall. If you've ever watched any movie at all with a fort or a castle or any kind of a wall, you know that the people on the wall have the advantage, right? It's like shooting fish in a barrel for those people standing underneath it. And he says, that's what happened. We, 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 we made this blunder. We made this mistake. Men got killed. Servants of yours were killed. Uriah the Hittite was killed. And listen to David's response. Because all of us would say, well, that was not right. And that's terrible. I, I can't believe that. I mean, Joab is a, is a military commander who has been through years of war, years of conflict. This wasn't like a rookie on his first day. But listen to what David said in verse 25. Then David said to the messenger, You shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you. Now most of us would think that word for displease means unhappy, but it doesn't. It means to be evil in your sight. He says, tell Joab there's nothing wrong with what he did. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing sinful. It's not a big deal. Uh, It wasn't something that has consequences. 
And you say, wait a second. That's a pretty bold thing to say because you did this evil because of your sin. You had commanded him to have Uriah murdered. You are now telling Joab that his sin was not sin. But don't miss the boldness of David. For the sword devours one as well as another. Jesus said something very similar to this in the New Testament. Right? That uh, there was an instance where a tower had fell and killed some people. And, and Jesus says, well, it's not because they were necessarily more wicked than others. James says it rains on the just and the unjust. What David is saying is, it's not a big deal. War happens. And death happens. You cannot control this. But if you're familiar with what David did, David absolutely orchestrated this. David absolutely is the reason that these men are dead. They didn't have to attack the wall. They had won. They could have just sat back and continued to have a siege. They could have sat back and continued to starve this city out. But because David's wickedness, it is specifically caused these men to die. And here's David saying, no big deal. You lose some, you win some. Right? You can't control who dies or doesn't die. You see, David not only goes from telling Joab that it wasn't wicked to saying that it wasn't their fault for being wicked. You see the boldness and the corruption that has happened in David's way of thinking? It goes on and says, "For Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. So not only does David... Tell him it's not sin. Not only does David not take responsibility for his sin, David says encourage him that he is not in sin. Encourage him to continue on. I mean, I want you to think about this just for a moment because all David had to do was just say, I have sinned. God, forgive me. Joab, forgive me. But his mind had become so warped by his sin that it didn't really bother him. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. If you can want to flip over there, you can. In Romans, the first chapter. Romans chapter 1 it is a chapter that most churches will not talk about anymore. They won't touch it because it explains the way that sin affects a nation. And it talks about the way that sin affects a people. And starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, friends, it is not just the wickedness of people that brings the judgment of God. It is the people who suppress the truth. It is people who maybe not are living in sin, but are telling people that their sin is okay. David literally was telling Joab, you got these people murdered, but it ain't no big deal. And not only is it not a big deal, it's really on God because God allows people to live, God allows people to die, God allows people to go to battle, God allows people to be at peace. And friends, what we are seeing in our lives and in our church and in our nation is this idea that sin is not a big deal. 
And not only is sin not a big deal, we're going to tell people that it's not a big deal. And friends, I want you to see this this morning because it says, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It doesn't say that you're going to get a free pass or I'm going to get a free pass. He is saying that God is going to deal with sin. God is going to deal with sin in Jacob Gray's life. It doesn't matter that I'm the pastor of this church. It does not matter that I've been a Christian for 25 years. When sin enters into my life, God is going to deal with it. And in your life, and in my marriage, and in my family, God deals with sin. The question is, how does He deal with it? Will you and I ask for forgiveness? Come to Him humbly and broken and say, Lord, I know I've got unforgiveness. Lord, I know I've got bitterness. Uh, Lord, I know I've got pride. And God, I need You to forgive me. I need You to change me. I need You to restore me. Because in that moment, the Bible says, He is faithful and just, and He'll forgive us. Or will He have to come to us and we're saying, I'm not in sin. My sin's not a big deal. My family member's sin's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's everybody's doing it. Times have changed. It's okay. Because what we see here is the wrath of God is coming. But it doesn't just stop there. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Once we embrace our sin, and we will not repent from our sin, look how God responds to a group of people. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature the creature excuse me rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen Friends, you can harden your heart toward God for so long that He will eventually say, if that's what you want, you can have it. If you want to live in wickedness and sin and defilement and you will refuse to repent the loving kindness and mercy and grace of God, God says, fine, if this is what you want, you can have it. You say, well, that doesn't sound that bad, friends. It is. Because friends, what we see here is that wickedness just continues to grow. That's why you've heard preachers preach probably your whole life. If you just let a little bit of sin stay in your life, if you just let a little bit stay in there, it eventually does what? It grows and it spread and it corrupts. Because God at some point, and I don't know when that is, it's different in each person's life. And the book of Proverbs says there's a line and a time, but I don't know where that is. But eventually God will say, if this is the wickedness you want in your life, if this is the sin you want in life, and this is the baggage and the brokenness you want in your life, fine, you can have it. But you need to know something, friends. It is going to spread. It's going to corrupt. It's going to ruin. Look what it says there in that verse. He gave them up to uncleanliness. That's why when you hear preachers preach about sin, and we talk about sins that are now being celebrated, and you say, people will say, well, all sin is the same. You're right. All sin 
defiles God's law. But not all sin has the same consequence. If I stole a pack of gum, it would have a whole lot difference of a consequence if I stole $600,000 from the church. In one set, I'd probably not get in trouble at all. And the next, I would be the best looking guy in prison, alright? That's how that works. Right? You might have a moment of a lustful thought in your marriage and that has a consequence, but I can promise you if you're running around on your wife for years, it is having to have a different consequence. And so this morning my challenge to you is, is to get right with God today. Let Him forgive you and restore you and heal you and change you today. Because I want to show you that it doesn't just stop there. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, we're just following along the pattern. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the nature, natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving into themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Now I'm going to stop. And some of you are already mad. I can already see it on your face. That's all right. You can always fire me or find somewhere else to go. We can all make it work all right. The reason that homosexuality is such a big deal and the reason that Satan and liberals are trying to shove it down your throat the reason that they are doing whatever they can to influence my children's generation, that it's all love, that it's all acceptance, that it's all okay, is because, friends, it's the snowball at the end of the hill. It started here. And God has said, fine, if you want to embrace unbiblical divorce, if you want to embrace pornography, if you want to embrace wickedness and all of these kind of sexual sins, if you think that has consequences, you just watch till the sin snowball begins to grow and spread and grow and homosexuality is kind of like the last stop on the train track before the judgment of God. And so they want you to be okay with it. They want you to understand it. They want you to accept it. They want you to believe it. Because why? Satan knows that if he can get you to swallow that pill, the judgment of God is coming. And Satan wants the judgment of God in your marriage. Satan wants the judgment of God in your family. Satan wants the judgment of God on a nation. Why? Because it humiliates God to the rest of the world. Now it doesn't humiliate God because God is glorified in judgment or in forgiveness. But it gives God's enemies a chance to mock Him. Those are supposed to be your people. That's supposed to be your church. That's supposed to be your child. And look what has happened in their life. And so friends, when people tell you it's not a big deal, Love everybody. Welcome them. I'm telling you today, you better choose to take a stand there because if you don't, and if I don't, and we don't, the judgment of God is coming. Now I know that everyone under 40 right now has just quenched just a little bit. But I'm telling you, this is not my opinion. This is what God's Word says. 
Paul said it started with their thoughts. It started with their minds. It started with keeping the truth quiet. Then it began to spread to God says, alright, I'll give you what you want. You can live in the mess that you've created. But then it spreads into defilement and to ruin and to pollution. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Most of you have seen a clear, crystal clear body of water. You think, man, I'd drink out of that. And when they begin to pollute it, you can't usually tell. You don't know that there's pollution in there or there's chemicals in there or toxic in there. And so you just keep right on drinking it. It ain't no big thing. But eventually when the fish begin to float to the top of the water, you say, wait a second. Something ain't right. And in that moment, most people would say, I'm not going to drink that water. There's something in it killing the fish. And friends, that's just how sin is. When you're living for the Lord or you're repenting of your sin, that's like that clean water. That's like all that it's supposed to be. But when you begin to embrace sin, when you begin to enjoy sin, when you begin to explain sin away, the water begins to get polluted. But friends, most of us don't realize the damage until the fish are floating. To our kids, come up and tell us they're atheists. To our kids, decide to live in sin. To our spouses, say they no longer want to be married. To the judge says you shouldn't have stole all that money. That's when the fish are floating. And friends, at that point, it's too late to save the fish. It's too late to turn things around in that situation. But God can still forgive. God can still restore. God can still heal you. But those fish are still going to be dead. The earthly consequences of sin don't go away just because God forgives us. Listen, I ask for forgiveness for being a glutton almost every day. But you know what? The pounds don't just fall off. I get on the scale every morning and say, Lord, forgive me. I can just feel the weight falling off of me because of all of my asking of forgiveness. You know what the scale usually says? One pound heavier. One pound heavier. One pound heavier. Why? Because the earthly consequences of sin are not correlated with the heavenly consequences of sin. God promised to wash all of our sins away. To make us as white as snow. To forgive us as far as the east is from the west. From the ground is to the scar. To the sky, but yet the consequences of sin are still here. And I'm not going to read the rest of those because you can continue to yourself. Second thing I want to show you, the second two points are very short. We will make ourselves look good even if we are the one in sin. Don't miss that. We will make ourselves look good even if we are the one in sin. If you're still listening, say amen. Okay, just making sure you're still awake. Look what it says in verse 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now, I'm not going to read Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6, but you can read it on your own time, okay? 
but it talks about what happens if a, a woman's husband dies. And if she, if he had a brother that he was supposed to take care of her, that he was supposed to provide for, that he was supposed to give her an heir to f- continue on the family name, etc., etc. And so what happens here is David either, one, disregarded God's word and said, even though she has a family member closer, I'm going to marry her. Or two, she had a family member, but he brought her into his house anyway. And I want you to think about this for a second. She found out she's pregnant, let's say, four weeks. David has her husband killed, let's say, two weeks. So six weeks, most likely, no one knows that Bathsheba is pregnant except for David, her, and God. Her husband dies. She mourns, most likely, for seven days to ten days. So she's at seven weeks. So most likely at this point, she is able to do what? Keep the fact that she's pregnant a secret. And here is this wonderful, kind, compassionate King David, who one of his greatest soldiers has died, and his wife's alone. Now what would a wonderful, kind, compassionate, merciful king do? He would bring her into his home to take care of her. Make her his wife. Can you imagine what they would have been saying about King David? Can you believe what kind of king he is? He reached down into Bathsheba's life and brought her to the palace. He's going to take care of her. He's going to provide for her. He's going to be good to her. Oh, aren't we so thankful for our king? And not only that, then she gets pregnant. And I always heard the second one takes nine months, but the first one can come at any time. And so you know that as things begin to get closer, they're saying, oh, she's just early. I can't believe it. When was the due date? Oh, you know. And so everybody thinks, look at God's blessing on David. Look at God's blessing on Bathsheba. Look at what, look at how great things are. Friends, I don't want you to miss this. Just because everyone else thought it was good, God knew. And friends, I have heard people say, Oh, I'm just, that person is just so wonderful. They're just so great. They're just so, I, ah, ah. Look up here. No man deserves your praise. No man deserves your worship. I'm thankful for godly influences in my life. I'm thankful for Christian people who have loved me and cared for me and been there for me. But look up here. They are sinners. And under the right circumstances, under the wrong wrong temptations, they can fall as flat on their face as anyone. And so I want to encourage you today. It doesn't matter how good someone makes you feel or, or how wonderful you think they've got it all together at church or just how much they've influenced you. Never put them on the throne that Jesus alone sits on. And friends, as a church, we have to be so careful. We don't want to be like the drama queens that air all their problems on Facebook and, and write, you know, uh, uh, you know, I've got a hangnail. I haven't been able to go to the bathroom. My dog's, got, you know, don't, oh my goodness gracious people. If I could give you one piece of advice, it'd be stop! Right? 
The less you say, the less stupid things you do today, the less you have to explain and apologize for tomorrow. Amen? And that should be the motto of our life. But we should never get to a point where when we come together and we worship together and we fellowship together that everything's just fine. Everything's just perfect. We've got it all figured out. Because I can promise you there are people sitting on these chairs today that are going through real struggles and real problems and real hurts. And they are looking around saying, is there anyone else in the world that is struggling like me? Why do I feel like I'm the only Christian with problems? Why do I feel like the only Christian who struggles? And so friends, we will make ourselves look good even if we are the ones in the sin. And third and final thing, God is the only one who has the authority to speak. God is the only one who has the authority to speak. Look what it says there in the second part of verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord was evil in the eyes of. Very similar to what David had said. Don't let this displease you. The Word of God says, oh, it was doing some major displeasing. And it was all about who it displeased. It displeased God. And this morning, the greatest word of encouragement I can give you is this. Even though not God knows every sin that you are committing, that you have committed, or that you will commit, it doesn't matter if you can hide it from your wife, hide it from the preacher, hide it from your neighbor, hide it at your work, The Lord knows. And even though your friends might say your sin's not a big deal, it's not a problem, it doesn't hurt anyone, your sin and my sin displeases God. You say, well, God is love. He absolutely is love. God is long-suffering. He absolutely is long-suffering. But our sin displeases God. You say, well, God loves the sinner, hates the sin. Look, it ain't sin that goes to hell, it's a sinner. And so you be very careful saying that. You be very careful saying, well, that person should get a pass because they're my child or your child. Look up here, my kids can split hell wide open. So can yours. And so don't ever make light of sin in your life, in your children's life, in your marriage. Let God Deal with it. Because even though He knows it, and even though He sees it, He is willing to forgive it. That's why the most amazing thing in the Bible is that the Lord knew everything about us and loved us. The fact that He knew everything about us, but yet still died upon a cross for us. I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes I struggle to know, love people and I see you on your best behavior. And I still struggle to love some of you. And some of you struggle to love me. But if I knew every wicked thing you had ever said or done or thought, oh, I know I wouldn't like you. You know how I know that? Because I know all the things about me and some days I don't like me. And I can promise if you knew every wicked thought I'd ever had, or every wicked thing I've ever said, you wouldn't like me either. But that's the mercy and grace of God. That He was willing to die for our sins. That He was willing to go to the cross and hang there between heaven and earth. And the Father poured out judgment on Him. He became sin 
for us, the Bible says. Because He loved you. God could have said, you're so broken, you're so messed up, you're going to make such a mess of things in the future that I'm just not going to die for you. I'm not going to save you. I'm not willing to come for you. But that was not the case. And so friends, whether you are in a mess and things are broken and things are so bad that you don't think they can ever be repaired, Jesus died for that. He died and can change it. Or if you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm just not that bad. I've seen seen other people. right? I, I know how they are. I just need a little bit of forgiveness. Now, the Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so this morning, whether you are just now starting to deal with temptation or whether you have given in to temptation, God is willing to forgive. God is willing to restore. You say, Jake, what if I'm living in sin and I don't feel under conviction? I don't feel that I'm doing anything wrong. If the Bible says it's wrong, it is wrong. The Bible calls it sin. It is sin. And you can take your feelings and go out to the Mexican restaurant today and eat something spicy and what you think is not a problem is heartburn. Your feelings will lie to you. Your heart will lie to you. Your emotions will lie to you. But how can it be wrong if it feels so Because it can. Because this universe is not ruled on your feelings or mine, but everything was made by Him and for Him and through Him. He became flesh. The Word of God. And so this morning I want you to know that if you're here and you're living in sin, no matter what anyone has told you, no matter what a preacher has told you, no matter what your grandma's told you, no matter what your neighbor's told you, It is sin and it will bring the judgment of God. But it doesn't have to. Today you can find forgiveness, but you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and come to Him. You say, Jake, I'm not under conviction. I'm doing what I want, living how I want, going where I want. One of two things has happened. You're lost. And you need to be saved. Or two, you have hardened your heart so much that God has just said, fine, you want this mess? You can have it. And friends, that's a scary place to be. Because I believe if you're truly saved, God won't leave you that way very long. You'll either repent, or as 1 Corinthians 11 says, God will take you home. So this morning my prayer is that you will hear the heart behind the sermon. That God loves you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to restore you. But don't believe Satan lies that he'll turn a blind eye to my sin or to yours. Pray with me as you stand. Father, this morning I thank You for Your Word, not mine but Yours. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, knowing full well that most of what I've said goes against the culture goes against what's being taught. It goes against what's being pushed by influencers on TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all this other stuff. 
But God, today I pray that You would help us to stand upon Your Word. God, help this be the church that repents. Lord, help us to be the church that takes a stand. Lord, help us to be the church that follows You no matter the cost. Lord, I ask for Your forgiveness this morning for any sin that's in my heart, in my life, in my mind. And that God, that You would not allow me to grieve Your Spirit this morning. Father, I pray for that man, woman, boy, or girl that's here today. God, and Your Holy Spirit is convicting them of their need to be saved. God, I pray that You'd give them the courage to step out today, to come and make You the Lord and Savior of their life. Father, today I lift up that Christian who is struggling with their sin. Or Lord, maybe they've asked for forgiveness for their sin, but they're struggling with the consequences of it and the shame of it and the baggage of it, God that You'd help them to see today, God, that You're not done with them. And finally today, Lord, I pray that You'd help us to pray for other people. Maybe a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker who has believed the lives of Satan, that it's all okay. God, help us to be a praying church. God, help us to be a humble church. Lord, help us to fall before You today and seek Your presence. God, I ask it all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.